0: Good evening everyone, welcome to our live broadcast. Today we're looking at the Samaya Sutta, and Nikaya, Book of Fives, number 54. So we stop here for a somewhat unique sutta, it's one of these Teachings that stand out in their own unique way. We have the Buddha giving, I don't know if you could call it advice, but listing situations where it is. Bhikkhu says unfavorable, but uh, the words the Buddha uses are or the text uses are Asamayobadanaya and Samayobadanaya. Samaya means occasion or time. Asamaya means that which is not the time not an occasion. So you might explain that by uh, not being a good opportunity for something or not being a proper opportunity for something. And for what? Well, padhana. Padhana means for striving. Striving being a term for buddhist practice buddhism is considered to be a type of striving if you ever come here to do a meditation course you'll understand why that is it's hard work it's not like running on a treadmill or pushing rocks up a hill but nonetheless it's work that you have to do, it's a training it's strenuous for the mind it's quite hard work you're striving to be free and it's, uh, that's in a very literal sense a very simple understanding of that striving that when you experience um, the objects you experience the world around you, to be free from them, to be free in regards to them, to not be enslaved by them, which is just a poetic way of saying to not react to them, to not extrapolate or expand upon them, let seeing just be seeing, let hearing just be hearing, let feeling just be feeling, let thinking just be thinking. That's the striving we do. So understand that yes, striving is important, but understand that the only striving that is proper is the striving to be simply put free. But again, it's not like free, like a jailbreak kind of free. It's free from the influence, free from the slavery of, uh, of reality. Free from slavery to reality. Do not be a slave of reality. So you, it's easy, we get the impression that, I hope from, you get the impression from some of the things I say that uh, it's always good to strive, right? It's always good to practice. So here the Buddha is saying there are times for striving and not times for striving. And I have to question um, a literal interpretation of this. So I have to Hesitantly, to put my finger on this one and move the. I don't know what the what the phrase is, but I have to somehow qualify this one because the Buddha doesn't go into detail. He says a and a time for striving and a not time for striving. and it's a list of five, five good times for striving and five bad times. So I'll go through them, and then we'll discuss about what they actually mean. Or maybe I'll say something first about why I mean it, it's not to be taken literally. You we know, will talk about that first. Because the admission that there's a time for not striving is is a sense that there might be a time where where mindfulness would not be useful right or would not be possible and I, I, if you're looking at this li- these lists and I'll go over them it doesn't seem like any of these are times they, they don't refer to times when you're asleep for example or drunk it doesn't talk about that what it does talk about is would appear to be times where it would be more difficult to really uh, apply yourself. And so the only understanding I can get out of this as to why this is actually an important teaching to keep in mind is that all of these uh, are are dangers that we have to face. That we may be in a position, this position, this, this samaya, this occasion might come to us that we get into a situation where we can't practice, or where it's quite difficult to practice, more difficult to practice. And so the first lesson is not to take for granted a good opportunity to practice, to seize the opportunity, and you'll see why that becomes important when we talk about that. The other thing um about a good opportunity um, I can't remember what I was to say Ah yes, is that some of these can be uh, avoided, not all of them but um. At least four out of the five of these, right? Three or four of them can be avoided. So it may be that you find yourself in a situation that is unfavorable to practice. And so one of the things I take from this is extrapolate on this teaching um, is that sometimes you should change your situation. Sometimes you shouldn't just accept your situation. Buddha talked about avoiding. Avoiding certain things, if they're going to get in the way of your practice, it's it's true that there are ca- there are certain examples of things to be avoided or even ab- abandoned and left behind. Uh, the Buddha did talk about in other suttas. If you practice somewhere and you don't uh, you don't gain uh, positive qualities from being there, your mind doesn't isn't able to focus, uh, then maybe you should think about going somewhere else. So let's go through these these five things are useful to know about anyway. It's not a terribly deep teaching, but it is a good teaching. There's no question um of value here. So the the five are jinohoti, uh, jaraya bibodo. Someone is old and is become great and become overcome with old age. Right, abibutta. This is a time, this is a Asamayopadana, not a good time to strive. And so this one really rings home the, the fact that you have to work You have to work while you're young. So the question immediately arises, what about old people? Can they not meditate? Absolutely. But there's no question that a person who is negligent when they have strength, when their body is fit, it's not going to be easier when uh, your body becomes weak and frail and you're bothered by all sorts of the aches and pains and the fatigue and the problems of old age it doesn't really just mean getting old it means getting arthritis and um, I mean there's even now we have to deal with things like dementia uh, and the many sicknesses that come with old age that make you tired that make you dizzy Some of these could even be, like arthritis for example, could be a good object of meditation. There's no question there, but it's much more difficult. Another big thing about getting old is that you've had that much more time to cultivate unwholesomeness. If you haven't practiced cultivating wholesome qualities in your youth, you've got that much more to deal with. Young people often get this wrong impression in their minds, oh, when I get old, Then I'll go off and do something spiritual. Right now I'm young, I should enjoy life. I get caught up in this idea of enjoying life. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Funny thing about enjoying life is it's not all that enjoyable. Think about it. Think about the times when you've enjoyed life. Did they make you happier as a person? Did they make you more content? What did you get out of it? Looking back at all the happiness we've striven for, all the uh, yearning and seeking for pleasure, are we now more content because of that? And when you come to meditate, you realize, hmm, actually... I'm just a lot more attached to those things now that I've had them than before. So that's all you get if you go through your whole life enjoying life until you get old to the point where you can no longer enjoy life in many of the ways that you used to. You can no longer play sports, you can no longer dance, you can no longer have sex. then you start to come and meditate, and you find that you've got some pretty serious attachments, pretty serious habits built up, they they get quite ingrained, they seem to be very much a part of who you are, and so your whole um, outlook on the meditation practice is skewed. For young people who come and meditate, I think you should be able to appreciate this, that you're able to cut through a lot of your bad habits, and become fairly objective because your bad habits are weak but if you talk to people who are who've come to the meditation later in life their habits are actually more ingrained sometimes they have very good habits but any bad habits are really that much harder to deal with I don't want to discourage old people and I, I think the Buddha was not completely trying to discourage you know, it was sensitive I think I don't think it was insensitive of that and it wasn't a sense that you old people are useless, go away, don't come and meditate but there's certainly some admonishment here to be to be made that we've wasted so much time not meditating and behooves us as young people as young as possible get people meditating when they're three years old five years old they might not become enlightened but they'll start to they'll start off on the right foot teach your kids not to kill not to steal not to cheat not to lie not to take drugs or alcohol don't go there help them on the right path encourage them that they don't cultivate bad habits that's what you see when you meditate see all your bad habits old age it's too late it's not too late but it's it's that much more difficult that's the first one the second one related byadito hoti byadina bibutto one is sick one is overwhelmed by sickness. It's also not a good opportunity for striving. Now, sickness can be a good object of meditation. When a person is sick, they can be mindful of the sickness. But that really assumes that they've got some kind of training to help them deal with the sickness. One of, uh, one of my old friends in, in Tong, one of my teachers, one of my first teachers, I'm not really on good terms with him, but I still respect him. He, uh, We're talking about, Mahasi Sayada says you should meditate like a sick person. When you meditate, you should behave as though you're sick. And the idea was, uh, it's a way of, give you the idea of being very mindful, because sick people walk very slowly he said when you walk, you should walk like a sick person. You shouldn't walk around mindlessly. Every act, a sick person, when they, well the point is a sick person, when they walk, they do it very intentionally because they're in great pain and it's very hard for them to do. The point being that they do everything very intentionally, very gradually, very carefully, because they don't want to disturb the sickness in the body. They're very weak and in pain. So meditators should, to some extent, be like that. To, should should it look like and f- and act like, but from a totally different reason. I mean the reason is not because it's supposed to be painful. Absolutely not. Because we have to be as careful as a sick person, but for a, a different reason, of course, so that we can be mindful. If you run around like a child, you're not, your potential to be mindful is much reduced. A sick person you walk around like a sick person, everything you can be mindful of, brushing your teeth, eating your food. Some meditators, he was, Mahasi Sayadaw. in this passage, he was praising these meditators who were doing everything very slowly, he said, you know, we should be like them, doing everything very methodically, very intentionally, and so as a result, very mindfully. Um, but the point of the story is he, he joked about this and he said, but you know, sick people are some of the least mindful people out there. And it's true, most people when they're sick, they're just whining and complaining and unable to be objective whatsoever. And so this is what the Buddhists, I, I can only assume, thinking of. I well, certainly thinking of the... Um, Sick people have a very hard time being mindful When you're sick all you want is to relieve the pain Just give me something to get over it right? and Once when I was in Thailand I would refuse to take painkillers But I got this um, What I later found out was probably Amoebic dysentery 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 is an interesting disease It's not like a It's like the stomach flu Where you get food poisoning or something Or a bacteria in your stomach A virus, I don't know Something in your stomach that makes you throw up Or makes you uh, have have diarrhea But it's uh, so much worse It's almost instantaneous Within about five minutes You're lying on on your back Or you're hunched over the toilet And it goes on for hours And you have pain from the top of your head To the bottom of your feet You feel like you're dying You really do can't eat anything, can't drink anything. The only thing I could take was salt water. And I knew instinctively instinct, instinctively that that, was, that I could take, and so I asked for someone to get me some hot water with salt in it. That somehow helped. But, uh, but I ended up taking half of a paracetamol because I just couldn't take it. Um, many years ago in Thailand very hard to be mindful but on the other hand the Buddha has said elsewhere that sickness he said or one of the commentaries said that uh, sickness is. I think the Buddha said it it's called uh, someone who becomes enlightened with the uh, they free themselves from sickness and they free themselves from defilements at the same time so they overcome sickness and defilements together meaning I guess the sickness helps them get rid of defilements it's an instigator helps you to let go and I see that as well I think anyone who's been sick any meditator who's fallen sick is able to see actually the benefit and, and how it tests you and challenges you but the the, the the definite point here is that not to wait until you're sick or to be conscious of the fact that sickness is uh, makes it more difficult. And the point being that, well, you're healthy. Make the most of it. So this whole idea of live your life, carpe diem, it's actually good, you know. Yes, live for the now, because tomorrow you may die. It's just a question of what that means. The best way to live your life is not to be indulgent Indolent, uh, careless, heedless. Best way to live your life is to live your life to the fullest. Live your mind, make your, bring your mind to the fullest. Live to your fullest potential. Strive to free- find freedom now while you have the chance. It's number two. Number three, dubikang hoti, dusasang dulabapindang. Na sukarang unchena pagahena ya peetung. Let's go to the English. There is a famine, a poor harvest. Well, I don't think that's quite what it says, is it? Oh, okay. Dubikang hoti, yeah, okay. There is a. F- it's hard to get food. Mm. This might be a fairly Specific problem Not one that It's one that monks run into And There's a sense here that you do have to somewhat be careful If you don't have a lot of food Well then don't push yourself At least physically too hard It also says that you need to eat There's no question that uh, we rely to some extent on our body and we're trapped to some extent by our body. And if our body is not healthy, it's uh, often, our body is not uh, energetic. and find it difficult to cultivate mental energy because they, they rely on each other. The mind is very much trapped by the nature of the body. Not entirely, but to some extent. So Bodhi translates unfavorable. Yes. I don't suppose there's too much to say there. We're not we're not really in danger of this. But uh, you know, another point would be that any any danger can come to us. Not just famine. Our house could be burnt down. And that's the fourth one. The fourth one is there could be Peril, turbulent, turbulence in the wilderness War hmm? Times of war, conflict So many different problems The future is uncertain We've just apparently passed 400 parts per million of carbon in our atmosphere Which is sort of the level that scientists hoped we could have avoided passing another one of those landmarks and we just whip past it and some people are saying we'll probably never see we'll never see uh, less than 400 parts per million so congratulations another landmark in the evolution of humanity what that means is we're looking at some uh, some hotter times flooding mass displacement of peoples so we're definitely looking at famine and hardship, war, war a lot of suffering in the future for a lot of people on earth could be us You might feel privileged now might be us in the next life might be us in this life lots of uncertainties about the future Lots of uncertainties about the present. There was a, another guy went into a public school to shoot people, which is always confusing, but uh, definitely possible. What's going to happen to us in our future? We don't know. And it will be very difficult to meditate when you're being shot at, when your house is being burnt down, compared to the luxury that we have, the great opportunity that we have to really make the most of our good good luck, the goodness that we have. And the Buddha said, this is the time. Make use of the opportunity ma upachaga. Don't let the moment pass you by. So that's numbers three and four. And number five is also somewhat specific. When the community is arguing and there's there's another lesson to be learned here. When the community is broken up, when everyone's fighting lesson to be learned here is don't fight. And this works, this is a probably a good lesson for, well it is certainly a good lesson for large monasteries and meditation centers. I've been in some places, I tell you. I remember, uh, I don't know if I told this story online, I tell this story often to my students. I became a monk and then I went back to Canada because part of my uh, agreement with my parents was that if I become a monk, I'd still go back to university. So I went back to university as a monk. Oh, I'm doing that now as well, but yeah, I did it way back when as well. It, it didn't really work out all that well. Anyway, I ended up deciding that that was a bad idea. It wasn't going to work, and so I reneged on my agreement and went back to Thailand. Yeah, it was a little more complicated than that, but anyway, I went back to Thailand. I just got back to the monastery and I was thinking, you know, ah, I'm back in Asia and now I can really, you know, now I'm in a community and I'm was, I was surrounded by these wonderful people and I wasn't there two weeks and we're sitting in the, It's just a, gives you an example of the sorts of things you do, we're sitting in the, in the uh, dining hall eating breakfast and suddenly there's a clang. And one of the monks, which we all turn and look, all 40 of us, it was like 40 monks, well, 30 monks, sitting, eating breakfast, very mindfully, very quiet. And suddenly one of them stands up and starts wailing on another one, pounding him in the face, and blood everywhere, his nose is broken. <laughs> so I got up and grabbed the monk around, out of all the monks I got up and uh, it's not something to brag about I mean the other monks I think we're all thinking what's this guy doing can't he just be mindful and you know let go but you know the stupid westerner gets up grabbed him around the, the chest and you know tried to pull him away stop him from beating this other guy up that's the way we deal with things in the west all the Thai Thai monks are just watching (laughs) seeing, seeing, something like that anyway yeah, fights break out it makes it somewhat difficult to meditate potentially I mean, that's just one example But uh, when you live in a community where there's infighting and everyone's obsessed with so many different things people can get obsessed with but it's a good lesson not to let not to let your irritation grow this will happen in meditation centers as well obviously we don't have the problem here we a small center it's a reason it's a part of the reason why we don't like meditators to chat with each other it's fine to talk um, it's okay I always say that you know the best way is if you don't even learn the names of the other meditators often point and say you've already gone too far if you know the names of the other meditators I think that that, that would be a good challenge if you could go through your whole meditation course I think it would be admirable if you could go through your whole meditation course without knowing the names of all the other meditators because in order to learn their names you have to chat What, what use is it to know their name? what good is it to you? it's only good if you want to chat with them and usually it involves useless, useless concepts. So it would be a good measure if we could sort of institute that as a suggestion, recommendation. And because you could still say, hey, is, are you done with the bathroom? Are you, are you done with that? And you could talk to each other, but you wouldn't learn each other's names. Because I find it's funny, sometimes the meditators. Know each other much better than I know them. They know details about each other more than I know details about them. Sometimes I don't even remember meditators' names. And then the meditators do. Um, so it's part of that. You know, if you, because if you start chatting, then you feed each other's defilements. And because we're all we all have issues we can upset each other and this happened to me as well we were meditating and some guy a real troublemaker he started talking about his child abuse <laughs> going on and on about how he was abused as a child and it totally shook the rest of us up we're sitting there we are trying to deal with our problems and suddenly we, we have to think of this guy and all the horrible stuff he'd gone through it turns out he was a bit of a as I say troublemaker and, and he, had, he had serious issues made it hard for him to meditate, so he liked to sit around and talk. But yeah, there are many aspects to communal harmony. It's not easy to find a community. It's it's easy to take for granted a a well-organized meditation center. It's not an easy thing to organize. It takes a, a light touch. But it takes some kind of a touch and some kind of planning and it takes commitment by all of its members, by all the meditators, by the teacher. Commitment to cultivating a, a beneficial atmosphere. Because otherwise it makes meditation difficult. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Just another one of those things, something good to point out I'm you know, going through the Anguttara Nikaya gives me a chance to point out hey look at this, hey look at this it's like we're traveling along the path and I turn and I can show you guys some flowers by the side of the road how's that for poetic imagery alright, that's it do we have any questions? Robin, are you still here? You're there.
1: I'm here, Bhante. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was uh, muted.
0: We have questions. All right. Hit me, hit me with your best shot.
1: Most of the time, I cannot feel the rise and fall of the abdomen. Not sure if this is due to stress. I mainly note sitting or other things that I experience after a few minutes if I don't feel any rising and falling I place my hand on my abdomen this seems like I'm looking for an experience to know and not focusing on more obvious objects also I tend to lower my hand after a few minutes because it stops helping is this correct?
0: yeah um, most likely due to stress if you lie on your back this is how you confirm what I'm saying lie on your back and try it. You should, if you're an ordinary human being, I mean, I suppose there's examples of it, you should really feel it then. And that's because you're relaxed when you lie on your back. But when we sit up, our brain starts to stress. And we spend a lot of our time sitting these days, so sitting becomes the time when we do our work. And to some extent, that has to change. Uh, I remember my first meditation course was very much like this. I I was breathing through my chest, I didn't feel anything in the stomach. But then at one point it just went... It just dropped. I did it by itself. Uh, Oh yeah, then I could feel my... But it was like a weight was lifted off. I was very tense. So so over time it, it will get better. Um, as far as putting your hand on your stomach, I mean, I wouldn't. Don't be at all concerned about looking for experience. Yes, you're trying to, you're, you're putting an effort into this one because we want to get a base. I mean, you could put effort somewhere else, but so it is good to some extent to work on making the stomach, um, making the stomach clear. And so if that means looking for it, to some extent, and in the beginning, I mean in the beginning, you're doing everything wrong anyway. You're just learning how to do it right. So. Don't worry too much about that. Once you get used to it, and once you start to settle down, you will know, become more clear. Now, it's never going to become um, predictable or stable. It's always going to be unstable. Sometimes there, sometimes not. So a big part of the practice is to learn to roll with the punches and be flexible. If it's not there, you can just say sitting, sitting or something and then go back and look at it again. But uh, there's a lot of potential for frustration and that's important because we're learning how to deal with difficult situations and not react. So one of the big reasons why the rising and falling stops is because you've reacted and you've gotten all tense. And so that's something you would note if you feel tense, you would switch and say tense, tense. And once your mind stops being, stops tensing up, the rising and falling should often come back Uh, but it's meant to be challenging it's not meant to be something you can rely upon be clear about that there's a reason why we're using the stomach and it's not because it's easy to rely upon it's not something that's going to be comfortable it's meant to be uncomfortable to take you out of your comfort zone Robin, did you click on the question? I did did it work?
1: I think so. <laughs>
0: it didn't work for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I. Something about I'm not it. sure that. It, yeah, I'm not sure that it it clicked right in the beginning. My hmm. screen was a little frozen, but it was clicked okay. before it was over. I didn't see it. Do some enlightened beings just retreat into solitude? Obviously, the Buddha didn't do that. But do you think he would consider that decision respectable?
0: Yes, absolutely. The Buddha didn't the Buddha did do that actually but then he was invited to teach he was asked to teach that's how the texts portray it that if he hadn't been asked to teach he would have just retreated into solitude it's definitely respectable there's lots of monks who did it arahants who did it they still would often be uh, confronted by people wanting to learn sometimes they wouldn't say anything they wouldn't teach they wouldn't throw people away but some monks would just go off into the forest where it was very difficult for other people to come not because they were trying to escape but because they felt comfortable it was uh, it was somehow a part of who they were so uh, I mean the Buddha was quite clear that there are many different um, different ways to live as a monk I'm not I'm not trying to suggest that always are are proper always are equal but there is no to be clear you don't have to do that and it's not wrong to do that those kind this kind of question the answer is definitely yes that it's all m- many different ways are respectable the most important is that you're keeping proper practice uh, of course for an enlightened person right that's that's moot point but it happens yeah Oh, we're not going to answer that one, because it's not about Buddhism, about our Buddhism. Why doesn't the Theravada school believe in who oh, we are clever there? I was almost going to think about answering that one, but no.
1: Dear Bante, I'm feeling less and less attached to the physical world. I know many years ago during university, I would desire to become a monk in this, in this lifetime after practicing meditation. I feel the time is coming near. I have absolved my student loans. I have money saved and many possessions I can sell and give away to make my travel to Surimangalo. I am happy to abide by the rules for staying at Surimangalo you outlined last night. Am I missing anything before I make my final decision?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, but... You have to understand that meditation is a challenge and it challenges your outlook. So it may very well change your mind. That often happens. People come here do a course and realize they're not ready to ordain. I wouldn't put any of your your waste any of your effort on the idea of becoming a monk. Well that's not true in other traditions, but our tradition is somewhat specific and and it, it's not something, I mean it's not really, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a tough path, you know. And it's a streamlined path. So we go quite deep, quite quickly. And the outcome, the person who comes out of the course, may have a somewhat different outlook on things from the person going into the course. I don't know. Maybe I don't have to be so dire sounding. It's, it's, it's Sure, you want to come or meditate, become a monk, fine. Another thing I would say is that being a monk here, I'm just talking to, uh, you saw, um, I've forgotten his name now, Alexander was just sitting there he, we were just talking today he wants to become a monk and I have no qualms about him becoming a monk he's finished two courses now really doing well I have no doubts about his ability to survive as a monk um, so what I said to him is he should come and stay here for a while and he can help out in the monastery and then I would ordain him never done that before I could, or at least ordain him as a novice I've done that before but maybe ordain him even as a full monk uh, and then we could send him somewhere because if he ordains here it might be easier to go other places so if you go to other places and ask them to ordain you well they don't know who you are and nowadays they're very cautious about immediately ordaining someone but because he's already done the r- prerequisites with us so that's an idea But but staying here as a monk you see there's no monastic community here I mean personally even I'm not I don't feel comfortable with my ability to provide a well-rounded monastic education because I never really got one. I can give the basics, and I know quite a bit about the Vinaya, but relatively speaking, I don't touch money, which is better than a lot, but I'd rather you consider spending your, your early monastic life in a place that is more traditional because we're just in a house here and we've got rooms just for meditators mostly so if your plan is to come here and live as a monk it's not really what I'd recommend but that being said we can help sort that all out I think I think this could be something a project Sri Mungo could start to take on advanced meditators who want to become monks we could help them find placements where they could go because that's common you know, monks would not always stay with their preceptor their preceptor even in the Buddhist time would send them elsewhere go learn from this teacher and then they come back and say okay now go learn from this teacher uh, wouldn't mean you couldn't stay with, with your preceptor but from time to time it's good to send them off to teachers who would teach different things so uh, that's sort of what I have to say about that
1: I've noticed I am able to maintain my noting more consistently if I engage in mon- muscle relaxation exercises before meditating. In my case, would you recommend I add this in routinely?
0: What do you think, Robin? No. What's my answer? No. <laughs> Your answer is it's party
1: you're not you're not looking for shortcuts. Uh, not you're trying not to, looking for things to make it easier. Make it easier. Yes.
0: You want to make it easy? Go ahead. Lie down in bed. Or sit in one of those massage chairs, <laughs> right? Put on some good music. No, we're not trying to make it easy. We're trying to make it as difficult as possible. No,
1: we're not trying to make it as difficult as oh. possible. That, oh, right, would be, that would be
0: that uh, would be what's the other thing called? Yeah. Um, right. We're not trying to make it purposefully difficult. Uh, I don't know about that. We're, we're trying to we're we're trying to leave ourselves open for challenge. So yeah, we're not trying to make it difficult, but the difficulty is important but it's like a natural difficulty absolutely, we're not trying to cultivate artificial difficulty but um, the fact that it's difficult is an awesome thing yes, you're not able to maintain your noting consistently do you know what that means? it means you're not in control it challenges our conception of being able to be to force things to being in charge to making things stable, satisfying, controllable There's no, there's no way around that. We should absolutely not try to make it easier. We're always trying to find tricks and ways making it easier. The challenge is part of the practice. And it's overcoming that challenge that is really going to build character. To borrow a Western phrase.
1: I know you talked about sickness as being a barrier when it comes to meditation. What about chronic illnesses? I have had a chronic illness. I have had a chronic illness easily treated with an IV infusion. However, without the medication, I'd be unable to walk and be in a lot of pain. I was just wanting your thoughts on medication and meditation in that case.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I have no problem with the idea of taking that sort of medication, especially if it makes you able to walk. Um, it is good to deal with pain, so you don't want to take medication to dull your pain, for example. And people, we have one. Elaine is taking. I don't know. I should talk about people. I'm not supposed to mention people. No, I can't talk about her because I mentioned her name. Anyway, um, you know, some people deal with. Should uh, you should be willing to deal with pain? We have one meditator here who was, who we're talking about pain, you know, and, and she's really picked up on that, the, uh, the, the actually dealing with pain instead of trying to escape it. So that's one that you generally want to try not to avoid, because pain is a great teacher. But extreme pain, uh, there's an argument to be made for, you know, trying to be free from that and certainly any debilitating condition that makes you unable to walk for example there's something wrong with it and the point of being careful about medication is avoiding mm. challenges avoiding difficulties um, and and medication that dulls your ability to practice medication can very much get in the way of your practice so sometimes you want a happy medium sometimes you Maybe take not as much medication as you might otherwise. I don't know. But, but yeah, medicine is something the Buddha allowed. So there's no, you don't have to be afraid of medicine. I I'm, I'm skeptical. I think as Buddhists we have to be somewhat skeptical of painkillers. Um, yeah, as I, for reasons I've explained.
1: and you're all caught up on questions one
0: alright, well there's someone coming to visit me in about five minutes so I should probably go anyway good timing I had a good conversation with uh, one of my classmates from religious studies we talked for about two hours this evening about uh, uh, God I was trying to pin her down <laughs> She's very good at ev- uh, eluding me She's got excellent A really great outlook on life But uh, she believes in She has this She knows that God exists She knows there's God She knows God uh, But she's slippery <laughs> Her definition of God Eludes my ability to pin her down And cut off the head of, her, of the snake Slippery Like an eel it's an interesting dialogue Really good person She's about, she's older than me One of the nice things about going back to university Is talking to older students Who are back and, and have a different outlook And we have a similar outlook In terms of coming there Trying to gain some skills And uh, challenge our minds So right now the we're taking French together and we're helping each other. Anyway. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Thanks Robin for your help. Have a good night.
1: Thank you Bhante. Good night.